followers of Jesus must take heed and beware of the influences of corrupt doctrines and conduct. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Folks, as we start off today here, I want you to beware there is a trigger alert coming. This isn't the trigger alert right here. That's coming. But I just wanted to give you a little heads up. Have you seen this? Sometimes this has become kind of common now in our parlance here where there's maybe something, a news story or something that may report on something that might upset someone. They want to give you a trigger alert about that to let you know. So I want you to know that today's message is going to have a trigger alert. This might upset some of you, but sometimes some of the things Jesus said and did, some of the things the Word of God says, might upset us, right? And we see that because he tells us the truth. Now we're to speak truth, to speak truth in love, but it still might upset us sometimes. So I want you to know that there is a trigger alert coming. But I also want you to know, though, that I strive to be an equal opportunity offender. I strive to be an equal opportunity offender because there may be something that I say at some point, and some of you are going to think, boy, uh, boy, I don't like that at all. You know? And then others of you are saying, yeah, that's right. Preach more, preach more. So I want you to know, if I'm saying something, you're saying, all right, preach it, preach it, preach it. And then I go somewhere and say, wait a minute, what'd you go there for? I want you to know, I strive to be an equal opportunity offender because that's what the word of God does, doesn't it? It manages to find something in all of us here. And that's what I'm aiming to do here. Then I not to deliberately give offense, but to challenge us, to challenge us to consider the truth of what God is saying and the truth of God's word here. So we may see some of that. So some of you might be thinking, oh, we need to find another pastor after we're done here. So I'll go ahead and get my resume updated here, you know, just in case, you know. So although I want, I'll be able to print it out. As you know, we had a little problem with the printer not printing this morning. Uh, I'll be able to print out. I got it going again so I can print out my resume after the service here. So we are continuing then here. You're wondering, what is he going to talk about today? What aren't we going to talk about actually might be the case here. But we're continuing then here in our series on the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling it Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going through, we're using as our guide a, a harmony of the Gospels. You know, I've used that term. Some of you wonder, what is, it? what is a harmony of the Gospels? Well, that is when, you know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're telling the same story, but sometimes there are different aspects or different elements. Not all, they're, they're not exactly the same in, in telling exactly the same things. There, there can be some differences among them, not contradictions, but just differences in detail. Here, one gives more detail about this. One includes this, but doesn't include that. And so a harmony seeks to put them all together into one flowing chronological account here of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so that is what we have been doing here. We are now in the third year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we're looking today at this subject here of influences, uh, the things that influence us. Uh, we are all subject to influences of various kinds, aren't we? And if you think, well, I'm not, I know exactly what I think and believe, I can't be influenced by anything, 
uh, you're wrong, right? We can all be influenced by any manner of things. And Jesus warned his disciples about the dangers of bad influences. He called it leaven, the leaven of beware, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and of Herod. And so we're going to look at that, what Jesus was talking about there, and then ask ourselves a question, hmm, is there leaven that we need to be aware of today? Are there influences that we need to be careful of here today? So we're going to be looking at a harmony then of Matthew chapter 15, 39 through 16, 12, and Mark 8, verses 10 through 21. And here is the key idea that I want us to take away from the message here. That is this, that followers of Jesus must take heed and beware of the influences of corrupt doctrines and conduct. Beware of the influences of corrupt doctrines and conduct then. So before we look at our text here, again, a little context, you recall that Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, probably that was 5,000 men, probably more like 15 or 20,000 people total. And through that, he was showing that he is the bread of life. Just as God provided manna in the wilderness for the people of Israel, he is the bread of life who has come down from heaven that provides life, spiritual life uh, to people then. So we saw him do that. And then, surprise, surprise, engaging in some controversy then with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who didn't like some of the things that Jesus was saying about himself. As you know, they famously saying, how dare you, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Well, he was God, and so they accused him then of, of, of heretical things like that. So there were a number of controversies then. And then we saw how Jesus withdrew for a time then from there and concentrated for a while for ministry to Gentiles along the Mediterranean coast and then also in the Decapolis, which was a, an area of 10 Gentile, predominantly Gentile cities then. And while there, he also did this miracle. Here are the feeding of the 4,000, 4,000 men, again, probably much more than that, with women and children. And this time it was predominantly Gentiles that he fed through that, saying that Jesus is the bread of life, not only for Jews, but also for Gentiles, because he came. He came for all of us here then. And of course, you know, now as he's beginning to return then into some Jewish areas, wouldn't you believe it? Here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees again, right? So let's uh, look at this. He's just fed this great multitude of the 4,000. And let's pick up in our text here from that. And it says, And he sent away the multitude, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha near Magdala. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees came out and began to dispute with him. And testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. What has Jesus done at this point? All those miracles and the feet, right? He says, oh, show us, all right, all right, what do you got? Show us a sign from heaven. And I love what the text says next. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather today, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. So first, signs here. Signs and miracles are closely related. They're not exactly the same thing. Uh, a miracle, of course, is what is an act of, it's an, uh, a powerful act or work of God that God does for someone to provide or to relieve suffering, uh, to bring healing. But a sign then is specifically communicating a message, often through a miraculous way in this. And so they're looking for some kind of verification, a sign from heaven. Well, Jesus, we've seen these, these healings here and that, but we're, we're still looking for a sign. What? <laughs> Don't you understand? You know, the signs that he has been doing, that these signs are what? These signs are pointing to who he is, and what he has come to do. A sign tells you which way to go, right? If you're driving down the highway, you're looking for a sign. Oh, I need to turn here to go to this particular place. Well, a sign was pointing to Jesus's identity as the Messiah and the Son of God and to his purpose or his mission, which was what? The salvation of the lost. So Jesus then now, he's left this Gentile territory. He returns to Jewish territory in Galilee. And once again, here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, who are they? They're the religious leaders. They're the religious rulers of the day. They're the ones that people would look to for spiritual leadership and guidance. And here they are once again coming out to dispute with him. And once again, they ask him, oh, oh, okay, so you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're, you're making these rather incredible claims here, Jesus. Uh, we're going to need to see a sign. How many of you, when you read, are just like, what? Right? Think about all the things that he has already done, the miracles, the feeding of the multitudes, not once but twice in doing that, and they're saying, wow, that's just not enough. We're going to need more than that. Really? Yeah, were you sleeping? Yeah. And of course, only the Pharisees and the Sadducees were sleeping, not the disciples, right? No, they were sleeping a little bit too. We're going to see that in just a moment. And I love what the text says. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. Can't you just hear that? They say, Show us a sign from heaven, Jesus. <sighs> Here we go again, right? They just don't get it. Do you think he ever sighs deeply in his spirit for you or me? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does for me, yeah. Yep. So Jesus says, okay, you want a you wanna sign, all right. Well, you know, you, you want some kind of sign from heaven coming down, some kind of great thing to, to see. Well, 
You know, speaking of the heavens, uh, here's, here's a, I noticed that, that you have this saying. You say, uh, well, it's going to be fair weather today in the morning if the sky is red in the morning, and, and, or in the evening, but if it, in the morning it's sky is red, well, it's going to be foul weather today if the sky is red and threatening. We actually have an expression, don't we, about this very thing. It says what? Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. We've got a Navy man who was, tell- who was saying that right back there, right? You were always below deck. You know, I, I never asked, you know, not that, speaking of Bunny Charles, what did you serve? I didn't even know. What did you serve on? In the honor. Okay. All right. So, well, anyway, well, we, I know we have another Navy veteran here over here. He served uh, in the silent service, the submarines. He was always below deck, right, uh, Skipper? Underwater. Yeah, he was always definitely below deck uh, uh, serving in the, on the submarine there. So, yeah, but yeah, so red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, right? And so he says, well, yeah, you have this sign you know, you, you see this, this sign in the heavens, and you, you're able to discern that. But I tell you what, the, the signs of the times, what I'm doing, all of this, you're just blind to, and you don't see it at all. Now, was the problem that they were not intelligent? Was the problem that they, were, was, that they didn't know what the Bible said, that they were unfamiliar with the scriptures? The, heart, the problem is what? The heart, the hard heart. They didn't want to believe. And so Jesus then says, a wicked and adulterous generation. Why couldn't they read the signs? Because their hearts were wicked, adulterous. What? That they were spiritual adulterers, chasing after other gods, other things, rather than serving God, the true God. So he says, what, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But then he says something a little mysterious. And he had actually had said this to them before. We had read about this before. He says, you know, you're not going to get it. You don't deserve a sign. Actually, they'd, they'd already received plenty of signs, right? But you know what? I'm not going to command or I'm not going to act on your command here and do something for you right now because, you know, you, you're not going to get it. Except one sign. There's going to be one sign. That you're going to get. He says, he calls it the sign of Jonah. Now, some of you went, what? What are you talking about? The sign of Jonah? Jonah, I mean, the, the, the prophet in the Old Testament that, that he tried to run from the Lord and he was uh, thrown overboard off a ship and a, and a great fish came and swallowed him up and then, and then spit him out, right? And then he went to Nineveh and preached uh, that one. Yeah, that Jonah. So, well, what do you mean? What's the sign of Jonah? Well, it's because what? As Jesus says elsewhere, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, what? Three days, three nights, so too will the Son of Man. The sign of Jonah, Jesus is talking about the resurrection, that Jesus was going to die, he was going to be buried, but he would rise on the third day. And just as Jonah came forth from the, from the belly of the great fish, Jesus was going to come forth from the grave. So you want it, you, in other words, oh, you want, a, you want a sign? You know what? I'm not going to perform for you right now. But I am going to rise from the dead. And that's, there's your sign right there. That's a pretty good sign right there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Rising from the dead. 
fact, it's such a good sign, it's actually it's the cornerstone of our faith, isn't it? Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 15 about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. You take away the resurrection, what do we have? Nothing, Nothing, right? Jesus' whole life and ministry, the, the veracity of everything he claimed to be and do rises and falls on the resurrection, right? So there's your sign. Now, of course, the disciples, they're, they're understanding all of this, right? They understood everything Jesus was saying and doing, right? No. I love this. It says, now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. <laughs> Who's surprised by this, right? When the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. You see, you might be, you can see them kind of, hey, I thought you were going to get the bread. No, he's in charge. They're once again, isn't it amazing how many times we see the disciples, they never have any bread, right? (laughs) And once again, they don't have any bread. And maybe they're arguing about it. I thought you you said you were going to get it, right? Okay, I'm taking a little liberty with the text there on that point. But, no, but it said, but they realized what? They realized they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread. Thinking literally minded, right? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Saw signs, and now we see leaven. Now what is leaven? Literal leaven is what? It's something that's put into the dough. Yeast, it's put into the dough. And what is that? what's its function? It causes it to rise, to levitate. Okay, I just made that up. That was stupid, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's an agent, right? And so just a little bit of leaven, what's it do? What's it, do? it spreads out throughout the whole batch of dough and causes it all to rise, right? And so we see in Scripture, leaven is sometimes used as uh, figuratively to indicate 
the influence of something. How it can sometimes just be a little thing, but how it kind of just spreads out and affects the whole. Just a little bit here then can just spread out and affect the whole. And oftentimes you see it in a negative context. Yeah, that something's just a little bit, how it, 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 it just it contaminates the whole then, right? And so then, Jesus says, beware the leaven or the influence, we might say, the influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And specifically what? Their doctrines, the things they were teaching, as well as their conduct, the way they were living. So beware, take heed, watch out. The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaven of Herod, what? It's bad doctrine, bad practices, corrupt behavior, corrupt conduct. But the disciples, though, they hear this, beware of the leaven, and where do they immediately think? Uh Uh-oh, he's talking about bread. It's like, I I told you to get the bread, and now you see, now he's saying, you know, beware of the leaven. What, did the Pharisees have a special kind of leaven? Don't put that in your bread, because that... It doesn't even make sense, does it, that they would take that literally, right? But yet, there they were. Beware of the leaven. They think he's talking about bread, physical bread. Well, he must be talking about that. But what does Jesus do? He once again challenges them on their hard-hearted lack of understanding. You know, sometimes even believers, followers of Jesus can have hard hearts, can't we? Hard hearts, hard heads, slow to get it. He says, oh, you of little faith. Remember last week we talked about great faith, how we saw great faith in that Syrophoenician woman. We saw faith among the Gentiles, the multitude. And then what did we see among his own disciples? Little faith. Jesus had fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fish. And now... Here they are in a similar, in the same situation. What are the disciples saying? Where are we going to get bread? Ah, where are all these people? Right? And Jesus says, "What? Just kind of." I'm sure he sighed deeply in his spirit there too. Right? <laughs> you know, we we, we kind of laugh about that. He had, he had fed the five thousand, and now here's four thousand, and they're once again they're panicking. What are we going to do? And we laugh a little, but. Don't we do the same thing with him sometimes? Right? So he's challenging, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? He knows, he knows what they're thinking, right? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Don't you get who I am and what I've come to do? What this is all about, what this feeding of the multitudes is all about, signifying that he is the bread from heaven, that he is the one to to whom we can entrust ourselves to give us life. Don't you get it? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And don't you remember? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? Don't you remember how many baskets you picked up? Don't you remember when I broke the, for the seven, for the 4,000? How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up then? How is it that you don't understand? I'm not speaking to you about literal bread. 
And so when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, he's not talking about literal leaven. He's saying, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the influence, the corrupting influence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It says, then they understood that he was referring to the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So I want to look at today here, the, what I'm calling the leaven list. Here is the leaven list. This is the AD 30 Israel edition here, okay? What was the beware? What were they to beware? What were they to watch out for in AD 30 Israel as Jesus wrote? Well, I think there were two fundamental ones here. The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was essentially this. Works righteousness and hypocrisy. Bad doctrine, bad conduct, bad behavior. Works righteousness meaning what? We were saved by our works. We're, you know, we come into a right relationship with God through our works and what we do. Now, of course, we're all smart in that we know that we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. But yet, even now, how many people today still believe, right, that we're saved by works? So there was a works righteousness. There's a mentality that, that, that they had to do. Now, it is true that our works, the things that we do, can either bring honor to, and glory to God, or, they can, or we, can, we can bring uh, disre- disrepute on the, name of God, on the name of God because of the things we do, Right? But our salvation isn't on our works. It is the work of Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. And sometimes I like to say, and it's like, no, hold, hold on for just a second here. You know, and, and we actually, we are saved by works. Did you know that? We're just not saved by our works. We're saved by Jesus' works his works for us, and we're saved when we put our faith in him and his works for us, right? So works, righteousness, and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is what? Play acting, saying one thing, doing another. The Pharisees, they were masters of hypocrisy. So here's Jesus. He's once again, they're, they're disputing with him. And as they go away, Jesus is warning them, watch out. Watch out for that influence. Be careful that you don't, just like leaven spreads throughout all that dough, don't let the doctrine and the practices of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all that corruption, don't let that affect you. So there's the leaven list, the AD 30 Israel edition. Now I promise you this, here it is, trigger alert. Who knows where I'm going now? We don't live in AD 30 Israel, do we? So we don't have to worry. We don't have to watch out for any bad influences today, right? Oh yeah, we got this. Works righteousness, oh yeah. Yep, yep, we know. We don't have any bad influences to watch out for today, right? Wrong. Trigger alert, somebody is not going to like something I'm going to say. Somebody else is going to love it. And you're going to say, that's right, preach it, preach it, until I get to the thing that you didn't want to hear me say. And if that's the case, 
I'm sorry, not really. I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. Okay? So here, as I'm going to suggest, now we could spend a lot of time on these things, but I just want to kind of go briefly through a few things that I think are some things that the leaven list, the, the, the negative influences, the bad stuff, the corrupt doctrines and practices and so forth, then we need to be on the alert for today in 2022 USA. Here's a few of them. How about this one? I want to, first off, the State of Theology survey is LifeWay Research uh, conducted a survey this year uh, asking people uh, include, within the church, I'm talking about among evangelical believers in the Lord, self-identified as evangelical believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking them some questions about doctrine, what they believed on that. How do you think we did? Not good. It's time for a sigh. It's time for a sigh, exactly. A lot of confusion. There's a lot of persons who self-identify as evangelical Christians who believe, for example, like, Jesus is not the only way to God. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you can be saved through other religions. Mm. Eh, That's not what Jesus said, right? How about this one? Jesus was created by God. Mm, No. And directly. Jesus is not God. You know, we have said this before, and when you go through and you read the, the Scriptures, the New Testament, you look at the things Jesus said and did, and then, and then people say, oh, well, Jesus wasn't God. Jesus didn't claim to be God. To which we say, have you read the Scriptures, right? And yet so many self-professed Christians don't think that Jesus is God. What? Now, it's, I understand if someone is very young in the faith, Right, And they need to be discipled and brought up into that. I get that. I'm not saying that because someone is young in the faith, you know, and they're outside the faith, and they're young in the faith, and they don't understand these things, and they need to be taught. That's okay. But I'm talking about somebody who has been a believer for decades, right? And they don't understand a basic doctrine like the deity of Jesus Christ. Or how about this one? The Holy Spirit is not a personal being. Uh, Yes, he is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a person as as the Father and the Son. He's not an impersonal force or influence. Or how about this one? I love this one. Humans are not sinful by nature. What? (laughs) I think that people are basically good. To which I say, well, you know what? As we said, if we want to compare ourselves to the worst person who has ever lived, you might say, yeah, I suppose most people are good if you're going to compare yourself to the worst person who's ever lived. But the worst person isn't the standard, isn't it? The standard is God and God's holiness and God's perfection. Now, in light of that, is anybody good? No. Not one. Well, only one, Jesus, was good, right? And they, yeah, and they put him on a tree. So beware of some bad influences, but corrupt doctrine, 
ignorance of, of, of the doctrines of Scripture. Someone has once called it spiritual aids, acquired ignorance of the doctrines of Scripture, right? Here's another one. It's an oldie but a goodie, the prosperity gospel, right? That's it said, what God wants you to be rich and healthy, you know, so send in your money to that TV evangelist. By the way, don't watch about 90% of the stuff that's on Christian television. It's garbage, all right? Prosperity gospel nonsense. But God wants to prosper you financially, wants you to be healthy and rich and all these things. If you just have enough faith, word faith sometimes is called, if you just, if you just have enough faith, you, are, you will bring things in, out by the power of faith, you will bring things into reality. Contemptible heresy. And yet that is what most of Christian television is. Now, some of you are saying, I'm not offended, I'm not triggered. What are you, what are you talking about? Preach it, preach it, pastor. I said, just wait, just wait. Well, I'll get to you, all right? How about this one? New age influences in the church. We all know, oh yeah, we're Christians. We don't believe in that new age stuff. Oh yeah? Have you taken an Enneagram test? It's new age nonsense. It's a cultic heresy. And yet it's becoming so popular in the church. What is it, Don? 45 books have been released by Christian publishers? Oh, we're over 140 now. You know, it so saddens me that you'll see, I'll see publishers that really put great stuff out there, and yet they're putting this heresy out there, and people are eating it up. What is it? What is the Enneagram? Well, it is claimed to be an ancient Christian personality inventory that will help you better understand yourself and others. Oh, that sounds good. Better understand myself and others, how I relate to others, and how I can relate to God better through the Enneagram. But it is actually recent, New Age-inspired, occult, false teaching. And people are eating it up. Because it's seeking to help you. What's it? it wants you to help you, to bring you back to your true self. Whatever that means. And it is fundamentally at odds with Scripture regarding salvation and spiritual growth. If you'd like more on that, uh, Don and Joy Vino have written a book on it called Richard Rohr in the Enneagram Secret. They'd be happy to talk to you more about that. But that's just one example of New Age influences in the church, the leaven of that. Okay, here we go. Some of you said, oh, okay, well, you're still not really offending me. Don't worry. Stay tuned. I might get you on this, this next round, okay? And if I don't, I probably will on the round after that. Here we go. You ready? Uh-oh. <laughs> Technology. There we go. Here we go. Here's a couple things. The man-centered, attractional, marketed church is one. And then the other is Worship Music Incorporated. All right? Let's talk about it. Relax, Jerry. Actually, Jerry's fine. We've talked about this. He knows this too, all right? Yeah. 
the man-centered, attractional, marketed church. That's a mouthful. What do you mean? Have you ever noticed that there are a lot of churches that they want that they're... All right, I'm just going to say it, okay? I think some of them have the best of intentions. They have the best of intentions. But what they are inadvertently doing in the process, they're making the church... All about, we're here for you. We want to market ourselves to you. Like, we're here to meet your needs. So we want to market you because, you know, it's all about you. We want, to, we want to give you the best worship experience you can have. We want to have all these ministries that are good for you and your family. Now, I believe and I want us to worship in spirit and truth. I want us to have ministries that are, that are, that are reaching people. And, but this is something that is very, it's a subtle shift to where it all becomes about, the church is about me and having my needs met. Now, I agree that part of the purpose of the church is God, is God meets our needs, some of our needs through the church, doesn't he? But the man-centered, attractional, marketed church is, it's all about me and my needs. Do you understand what I'm saying and the difference here? So it all becomes about how can we get unbelievers from the community to come into the church so that they can become believers. That sounds like a wonderful motive, doesn't it? And I, agree, I think it's great to invite unbelieving friends and neighbors to church. But we are not here, we are not gathered here in order to minister, to minister and to evangelize unbelievers. What? No, we are here, why? To praise, to worship, to be built up, instructed in the word of God, and then we do what? Then we go out and we evangelize. Now again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have unbelieving friends and neighbors come to church. It isn't. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. And I'm not saying it is, it's wrong to have certain special programs or services that might be geared more that way. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying when you built your entire church philosophy on that, you got it wrong. The church is for believers, not for unbelievers. Does that make sense? Worship Music Incorporated. Uh-oh. Now, I'm not, this is not an argument about styles, about instruments and styles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about doctrine that gets taught through certain music. That's the issue. And Worship Music Incorporated is... there. I'm looking at the clock. Who wants to give me a little longer here? All right? Okay. Worship Music Incorporated is, as you know, a lot of the Christian music musicians and publishing houses, that they've been bought by large corporations. And what do they want to do? What do are, what are corporations exist to do? Make money. What sells? And what tends to happen to doctrine in the process? Mm-hmm. It's watered down. It's corrupted. And I am sorry to say this, there are enormous pressures sometimes on Christian musicians. And there's corruption that can sometimes happen in their lives too, their personal lives. And you can even have folks that come in and they're not even believers and they're doing Christian music. Right? 
because it's a big money-making thing. Again, I'm not talking about instruments and styles. I'm talking about doctrines and influences. So there are some musical publishers that we will not use, that we don't, we don't do. Jerry and I, we, we've talked about this. We don't do that. Why? Because, you know, when we, when we uh, have to perform, a, perform oops, when we play, when we play a song up here, did you know that there's a, 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 a license, a royalty that gets paid? So, you know, when we, you know, like, like the music that we, that we play here, that's, we're, we're paying to use that because it's copyrighted. And so there are certain publishing houses, Christian publishing houses, that we won't use that because we don't want to support their doctrine. Right? So we've got to watch out for that. Okay, some of you are still saying, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not upset. Okay. Here comes one more. Uh oh. Once again, one more. Politics and the church, cultural pressures on the church, deconstructing faith. Hmm. Politics and the church. Oh, I could say a lot on this. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. I'm working up the curve. I I used to really enjoy politics, but I don't so much anymore. You know why? It's become so divisive and hate-filled and awful, right? But that's not my point in bringing this up here. My point is. There are sometimes some within the church that think you have to vote for a particular candidate if you're really a believer. Or because maybe this particular believer or political party lines up more with certain scriptural teachings, well, that's the one to vote for, and we need to hate the other one. And if you try to point out, you know there's some elements of your particular candidate or politician or maybe even certain policy platforms that really aren't, that are at odds with Scripture. Oh, don't want to hear it. Nobody's perfect. Just going to say it. Okay, here's, here's, okay, you ready? I'm concerned with what the presidency of Donald Trump has done to the church and the division that that has brought into the church. I'm not talking about policies. In our, I'm talking about the inability for us to be able to, to communicate, to talk with one another, to love one another, to respect one another, and maybe even to admit, you know, Donald Trump sometimes does and says some really horrible stuff. He does. And we're not witnessing to the world very well when we don't tell the world, yeah, you know what, I understand why maybe you don't like him. On the other hand, there are some policies of another party 
(laughs) that really anger me and go against what Scripture says. But because of that, we cannot hate people. Now, there's a whole lot more I could say about this, but I just want to say our faith is not about being a Republican. Our faith is not about being a Democrat or hating the Democrats. Our faith is not about worshiping at the altar of Donald Trump. Our faith is not about any one candidate. Our faith is about worshiping at the altar of Jesus Christ and telling the biblical truth about both parties and all candidates while recognizing human frailties and folly. Does that make sense? Cultural pressures on the church. The church is becoming increasingly pressured by the politics of the day, the zeitgeist, the new sexual morality. And by the way, there's nothing new about it at all. The pressure of the LGBT lobby on the biblically faithful church is enormous. We can't give in to that. I'm not talking about hate. I'm, speaking of, I'm, I'm talking about speaking the truth in love, but holding up what God's word has clearly said about men and women as male and female, as marriage being one man and one woman, as sex being something that is practiced within the confines of biblical marriage. It's pretty basic, folks. And you don't hate someone to, uphold, to simply uphold that and speak that truth. Deconstructing faith, in a nutshell, some because, and some of this it ties into because of the problems with politics coming into the church and the cultural pressures. Some now it's becoming popular to deconstruct, rethink my whole faith thing. And people aren't so much rethinking their faith as they're doing what? They're just abandoning the faith. We've got to watch out for those influences. Again, there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but that is it. All right, I'm looking at the clock, so here goes. The 11 list, the Don Vino edition. (laughs) I asked Don to give me what he considered the top five uh, cultural influences, the cultural leaven influencing the church today. I'm going to say it quickly. You can talk to Don for more details afterwards than if you want. Here's Don's list. The insufficiency of Scripture, the nature of God, heresies on Jesus, penal substitution and salvation, salvation itself. What is he saying? What does that all mean? Well, very briefly here, um, the insufficiency of Scripture says what? The Bible is not sufficient for our faith and practice, so we need to supplement it with spiritual tools like the Enneagram, contemplative prayer, the New Apostolic Reformation Prophets, the nature of God, 50% of the culture in the church are panentheist. What is a panentheist? It literally means all in God. So what is panentheism? It holds that the universe is contained within God, that God is both the universe and is also greater than the universe. So you're thinking, oh, what does that have to do? Well, what it basically comes down to so is that as the universe grows and changes, so does God. God's kind of a work in progress is the, the, the nutshell of that. Is God a work in progress? No. But a lot of believers are, yeah, eating this stuff up. Heresies of Jesus. You know what? The new Jesus makes no comments on or condemnation of sin, like sexual immorality. 
But he is concerned with being loving, all-embracing, and affirming of the new sexual identity and equity movement. Penal substitution. and so, Sin really isn't such a big deal. They're just mistakes. The only real sin is offending someone by pointing out that they are a sinner. Jesus lived to be our chum and bring social revolution and thereby show the way to redeem society. And finally then, salvation, it is something we discover that we have through the use of the newly discovered spiritual tools or something we achieve by perfecting ourselves through our own efforts. And so after reading through all of this, I said to Don, that's it? That's all you got? Is that the best you can do? To which he replied, well, if you give me six more minutes to think about it, I could probably give you a more comprehensive list. Uh, there, so you go what? All right, so I said that. So what? Who's ready, me to, who's ready for me to land this plane here? All right. So what? Followers of Jesus must take heed and beware of the influences of corrupt doctrines and conduct. So I want to say, stand on the word of God. I shared this before. This was a poem that uh, I heard from my mother when I was a little boy. She had a copy of this in her Bible. I keep you a copy of it in my Bible now. But it's called The Anvil of God's Word. I've shared it with you before. You'll probably hear it again at some point. It says, Last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter these hammers so? Just one, said he, then with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammers gone. Stand on the word of God. Study sound doctrine. Be filled with the Spirit. I could say a lot more on that, but I'm going to leave it there for now. Stand on the Word of God. Study sound doctrine. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We've, I know that we've had a lot to consider here today, and I pray, Lord, that you would take this, what has been said here, Lord, and that you would apply this individually to our, to our hearts as, as need, need be, Lord. God, I would pray, too, that for anything that was said that was, was, was not honoring of you, was not in your, that, that you would take that and you would just cast that away from our, from our minds or our thinking. But if there's something, Lord, that we needed to hear and reflect on, I pray that your spirit would bring that to our minds and thinking. God, I pray for each one of us here as individuals, but also for we as a church, that we would stand faithfully on your word. Stand faithfully on your word that we would teach and preach and stand firmly on sound doctrine. And that, Lord, we would seek to be filled with the Spirit, that we would demonstrate Christ-likeness in our lives through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That our lives, that our con- not just our doctrine, but that our conduct would be honoring of you and honoring of your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.